On March 22, 1984, a local pharmacist and his wife are found murdered outside of Fayetteville, Arkansas. Ten days later, the main suspect is found dead in a three-foot pond with an extraordinarily large amount of cocaine in his stomach. Though his death is ruled a suicide, there are so many questions remain that this case has never truly been solved. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce Podcast. Tonight we bring you the case of Lee and Karen Dixon and Dennis Ray Flowers. Welcome to a deep, dark, quarantine <laughs> basement. Fuck, man. In the bowels of Georgia. Where as of this recording, we have not been shut down to non-essential travel. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I've been off all week at work. We've been quarantined as far as uh, groups of 10 or more. And it's amazing to me. I thought to myself, self, I'm going to have so much time for activities. I'm going to be able to do this. I'm going to be able to do that. And fucking time flies when you're not working, dude. It's amazing. Yep. It Unfortunately. Is crazy. Unfortunately, you are correct. I haven't really done shit this week. Neither has Mini Me. Well, does he ever do shit? No. Okay. Slide around in his underwear like somebody shot rockets up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get into uh, 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 the reviews. Yeah, man, we got a uh, five, a new five-star review, which I absolutely love to get. Makes my whole damn day when we get one. And this one comes from Mrs. Crismo. I hope I'm saying that right. C-R-Y-S-M-O. And she said the title of her review is Five Stars. And she says, quote, Y'all are a dang hoot. And I'm inclined to fucking believe her. Yeah, we are a hoot. I'm a goddamn, I'm a delight. So tonight, since we cannot procure, since we're on quarantine, Arkansas beer, quarantine, they said, we are drinking whatever the hell we had left in the fridge, and tonight I'm finishing off the hop-on from Abita, which is, is close to Arkansas, it's in Louisiana. It's various brews. I mean, we got several different kinds. A little bit of Sweetwater 420, a little bit of hop-on. I got some Hop 99. We just got, we just got a grab bag. It was a mystery, a mystery. Mystery? It was a mystery as to what the hell I was going to bring. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, as as much of the positive feedback that we have gotten from everyone and any feedback, positive or negative, we have never once heard about the beer. So I don't think people really give a shit. <laughs> I do agree. So we're drinking what we're fucking drinking. Deal with it, people. So this case is brought to us by a listener who happens to be a licensed private investigator. Yeah, who was very adamant that we cover this case, and we're glad he was. Yes, because our two dumb-ass Georgia butts were... <laughs> George, dumb-ass Georgia butts? Are you going to say ass them butts? Okay. Yeah, I did. Dumb-ass <laughs> Georgia butts. Dumb-ass Georgia butts. Were ignorant to the fact... That this yeah, case I, even... Yeah, I never heard of this case ever. And this case is, is... fucking wild. A rabbit hole upon rabbit hole. Yeah. And so I spoke with this gentleman today on my ride home 
from work and it gets crazier so we're looking at possibly a part two. Oh my god we're gonna pop our cherry on the part two two parters yeah and we'll do a phone interview with him and uh get his take on what he has uncovered because we're just hitting the high point uh with that said there are two podcasts out there that have covered this case before Really, I only found one. One is Corner Talk. Yeah, Corner Talk. Yeah, yeah. I got that one. In That's the one I listened to. And Southern Fried Crime. Oh, really? I miss. I do. I've listened. She did to a Southern, good job. I've listened to Southern Fried Crime. She's pretty good. <clears throat> and I think she's from Arkansas, if I'm not mistaken. So, knowing what we know about Arkansas, when we covered the Janie Ward case, and then when we covered the Billie Jean Phillips case. And what we both know about the boys on the tracks, which we haven't covered yet, and we probably will at some point. With those three cases, and then you add on this case, I'm pretty sure we're both going to stay the fuck out of Arkansas. Yes. Forever. Ever. And that sucks, because my dream was to move to Hot Springs. I was going to move with you, and I would just duck hunt and feed you uh, ducks that I shot. Not, like, purposely. Oh, that duck you gave me, man, was delicious. Thank you for that. Anytime you want to give me duck, I will take it. But yeah, man, Hot Springs is an amazing town, and it's just awesome. And uh, Fayetteville in 2014 was like top 20 places yeah. to move. And I, this case takes place in 1984, and so a lot can happen in 30 years. Well, I was three, so I was eight. ish, three ish, three ish. Yeah, so I maybe was four. I don't know. But anyway, so yes, in 1984 we were all rocking the Miami Vice. <laughs> <laughs> Cocaine was king. Boy, was it ever. And neon was the new color. <laughs> but I digress. Lee and Karen Dixon were brutally murdered in their home in Fayetteville, Arkansas on March 22, 1984. Lee was found shot in the kitchen. No, I thought I read it was the garage. Am I mistaken? I had seen the garage, and then it was also in the kitchen twice. So I'm going with twice. Twice this this. Well, if you see garage once and you see kitchen twice, then it has to be it's kitchen. It's got to be the kitchen. Yeah, that motherfucker was just shot. Yes, this is somewhere in the house. In the house. Now it was stated in what I had researched that his wife Karen was found tied to a chair in the living room. That's true. Yes. Now that is that's confirmed from everything I researched yeah. and everything also states that unfortunately she was eight months pregnant and at the time they the assailant would not have been charged with a triple homicide but a double homicide now it would be a triple homicide in the state of arkansas correct now they had a some reports say a two-year-old other reports say a three-year-old son I saw, I, everything i saw was two-year-old and I guess, thankfully, he was asleep in the room adjacent to the living room. And we'll get into more about what he may or may not have heard. But if the person that they have accused, they have declared that was guilty of this, would have been well aware that they had a two-year-old. True. Just that situation just breaks my heart. But the good news is... There's good news from a, a double murder. His name is Mason, and he has a family of his own and three lovely kids of his own. And through probably a lot of counseling, he has led a productive, productive, 
proud life, and his parents would be proud of him. You really got to commend that. Yes. I mean, for something like that to happen at such a young age, and you really can't overstate how much traumatic episodes at a, at a young age can affect yeah, your can adult warp. life. It'll yeah. totally warp you. And it may be the fact that he was so young that there was not there was a lot of memory block. You just don't remember a lot when you're two or three. Oh no, not not a lot. Yeah, and so that probably helped him a lot. But that is the only bright spot out of that situation. He actually was the one to open the door when the police were knocking to see if the Dixons were oh, okay. So crazy. Yeah. So crazy. So Lee Dixon was a pharmacist at Consumer Pharmacy in just outside of Fayetteville. And he had been audited by the State Pharmacy Board on March 16th of 1984. The State Board found that he was missing or he was, his records did not match what was on hand. And basically eight ounces of pharmaceutical grade cocaine and some narcotic pain pills along with some vials of morphine were also missing from the pharmacy. Well, see, this is something that I did not I did not realize, so I had to check with she coach who is a doctor and I was like, "Is there really cocaine at the pharmacy?" And she was like, "Oh yeah." Totally. I was the same way. I was like, "You can fucking get you can, prescribed like, cocaine for nose surgery?" Yeah, I was like, "What?" And he was like, "Yes, it's used as a general anesthetic." And I was like, "No shit." <laughs> <laughs> I was the same way, and I looked it up, and it said that it's can, basically... It, it, it can be prescribed for no, excessive nosebleeds. And it's basically the same thing as the lidocaine and the novocaine. Yeah. Yeah. Like novocaine, lidocaine... Cocaine. Cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in the same family. Colombian snow. Yeah. You've got a pound of Colombian bam-bam under your car... <laughs> <laughs> and the cops are on the way. Oh. So he was in deep shit. Let's yeah. just let's just cut to the yeah, chase. Yeah, no doubt. If you're missing eight ounces of pharmaceutical grade cocaine, three vials of morphine, and a lot of class We're two narcotics. Ounces. Ounces. That is a shitload of cocaine. That's a half a pound, boys and girls. A half a pound of pharmaceutical. <laughs> Pharmaceutical grade cocaine, and when I say pharmaceutical grade cocaine, We're I mean it's ninety eight percent pure. Ninety eight percent pure cocaine. That is the. St- I, I, I don't know if you. Can I get don't know better. the street value of it, but it's a lot because yeah. you cut that shit down two or three times, and just, I mean it's a lot of money in nineteen eighty four. But anyway, mm. and Lee was going to have to come before the pharmacy board. And explain why these drugs were missing. So it's pretty convenient that he gets murdered. <laughs> yeah, basically, he was on record. As crazy as that sounds. Stating that he had two options. Either go down with the ship or turn state's evidence. And we'll get into what that means later. Well, there's gonna I'm going to assume there's going to be somebody out there that does not want him to turn state's evidence. Yeah, there's probably more than one somebody. Yeah. So this meeting would have taken place on March 19th, just a couple of days after the surprise visit by the pharmacy board. And three days before the murder. Correct. And Lee knows, you know, he's looking at jail time, loss of his license. Oh, his life's runt. Yeah, R-E-R-N-T, runt. runt. Now, magically, upon the police 
coming to the Dixon's home and finding them murdered, they name a suspect, and that is Mr. Dennis Flowers. Yeah, and he's actually going to be Lee's best friend. Yes, and they had become friends through basically their their drug habits. But uh, well, that's you know that's the tie that binds. That know? is true. <laughs> <laughs> There's no closer friend than your coke sniffing friends. You know what I'm saying? Law enforcement was. Wait, I don't think that's true. I don't think so either, because <laughs> I don't think we've done coke together, and I don't want to do any coke. Right no, now. God, no, no, thank you. No. So law enforcement began searching for Dennis, and it was stated in a couple of the newspaper articles at the time that the reason they were looking for Dennis was because his wallet was left on the kitchen counter in the Dixon's home along with a pristine thumbprint on the top of a 7-Up can. Well, here's the thing, though. And I'm just going to go ahead and state it. His thumbprint was found on the 7-Up can, but it was not found on the duct tape that was used to bind Lee's wife. Or the ropes. Or the ropes. Or the tape. Or anything. There's one fingerprint in the entire place that's, that is uh, Dennis's. There, Dennis's. Just one. Fingerprint throughout this whole thing. The only fingerprint to tie him to the house and to this case is found on a 7-Up can. And I don't know about you, boys and girls, but when I drink from a can, I don't magically put one thumb on top of it and be able to drink it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's not I, pristine. I, I don't do that. Yeah, I don't either. So we are... We did find fingerprints, though, Coach, on the tape. We do. But guess what? But they're not Like his. you stated, they're not his. But we found one on top of a 7-Up can, so he's got to be a double murderer. Got to be. Got to be. It's that Coke. He murdered his best friend in cold blood. And his wife. Some piece of shit, and I will, I'm sorry, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. Some piece of shit police investigator stated to the press at the time that Dennis killed Lee in a lover's quarrel because Lee came home to find Dennis and Karen doing cocaine and having sex, and Dennis kills him in a fit of rage. This is the most asinine thing I have ever heard in my entire life. I don't know. I mean, maybe. Well, it's real easy to point blame at three dead people. So we touched on the fact that police have decided that Dennis Flowers is the only suspect capable of complete... Com- Fuck. <laughs> committing. Committing this double murder on the fact that his wallet and a thumbprint was found at... The Dixon's home. Despite the fact that there were 28 other fingerprints found on the bindings of Karen, but they didn't match Dennis's. We're going to disregard those 28, but we're just going to focus on this one. Just that one. It's pristine, so we gotta we got to use it. Perfect. Yeah. Well, the man's wallet was found there. Oh, yeah, because, you know. I mean. If you're going to create a du- If you're going to commit a double murder... Maybe you were high on cocaine and got confused and took the wrong wallet. That might be something that comes into play later. Is that called foreshadowing? That's foreshadowing for the Martin Scorsese fans. So, they start looking for said Dennis Flowers. But on 
the 22nd, around 4 a.m., Mr. Oren Tisdale, mm. a rural farmer, states that they, which is he and his wife, mm-hmm. <clears throat> were awakened by a man a beating on the door mm-hmm. who had a revolver in his hand and told them that he needed a drink of water and he needed to use the phone. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Tisdale state that the man in question here resembled Dennis, but they were not able to positively pick him out of a lineup. They state that the man had a needle hanging out of his arm, and he used their phone and called someone named Lamar and stated to Lamar, that he had murdered two people and he was going to commit suicide and truck on down the road. <laughs> How are you going to commit suicide then truck on I know, down that's the road? what I was wondering. That's an odd statement. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. So, Mrs. Tisdale states that the man leaves the house, gets into a white Ford Tempo, and hastily backs out of their driveway and into a ditch on a rural farm road. He then gets out and walks north on the road. Now, we need to sidebar this for a second. Uh-oh. Yeah. Here uh, we go. If a man breaks into my house... To use the phone, get a drink of water, has a gun in his hand, and a syringe needle sticking out of his arm, mm-hmm. and he does not hurt me. I'm calling the flipping cops, and they better come come and come and fast. Yeah, but it is not until later on the 22nd in the afternoon time that the police take. A statement from Mrs. and Mr. Oren Tinsdale. <laughs> but don't you think if you called the police and said, hey, there was a crazed druggie in my house. I would hope that my police force would respond. Before 12 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, I, w- I would. If not, I'd be on every damn news channel. But that's just me. I'm a little hot-headed. <laughs> so, Mrs. Tisdale lose sight of the man as he walks down the road. So, police arrive, and they start this massive manhunt. It's important to point out that when they give a description of this man, he only slightly resembles... Dennis Ray Flowers. Yes, and they... Dennis had a 1980s Magnum P.I. mustache. Which is always sure to... Drop some. (laughs) But anyway, we digress. (laughs) Uh, But the Tisdales do not state at any time that the man that came into their house had a mustache. And you would think that is something that they would you know, be able to see. Who's seen him? (laughs) So let's keep in mind that a man comes into a elderly couple's farmhouse, 
with a f- revolver. Supposedly a man came in. Keep that in mind. For a drink of water and to use their phone. At what? 4 a.m. 4 a.m. And that's that time in mind. And this man has no mustache. His clothes are clean. But he's desperate. And he needs a phone. So he stops at a farmhouse in the middle of fucking nowhere. Just keep those facts in mind. Yeah, this is... It's 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 a complicated case. You might want to take notes. Yeah, maybe. But if we just just point out some some facts like that, so 4 a.m., a man resembling Dennis Ray Flowers shows up, no mustache, and he is clean. Just keep that in mind. Only thing they notice is a syringe needle sticking out of his arm. Correct, because he injects himself with something. So. The police set up a command center on Orrin Tisdale's farm. And for seven days, they search for Dennis Ray Flowers. They call in surrounding counties, state police. They get airplanes, helicopters, scent dogs, horseback, and scour the countryside around the Tisdales' home. Now, we need to point out the fact that it does not matter if it was 1984 or 2020. If some, if they're doing a manhunt, the same things that they used in 1984 would be used today. The only thing that's changed is some of the technology to determine whether or not it is the person that you're looking for. They're still going to call out scent dogs. They're still going to do a ground search. They're going to take to the air. They're going to put up roadblocks and stuff like that. So don't think... That just because it's 1984, they did not do their due diligence. But the tracking dogs track someone from the Tisdales' home down the road to the car in the ditch, past the car, headed north, just like Mrs. Tisdale states, and approximately 50 to 100 yards past the car, they find a pack of cigarettes in the road, and it's at that time the dogs lose the scent. Hmm. And if you know anything about tracking dogs, the only thing that loses a scent for a tracking dog is either a UFO flies over, sucks someone up, or they get into a vehicle. Correct. Which one of those do you think is more likely? I'm pretty sure in rural Arkansas, <laughs> you got a 50-50 shot, but I'm going with the vehicle. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So, that is another key thing to keep in mind. Ooh, so intriguing. It is the fact that they, the tracking dogs do track someone from the house down the road, but the scent stops as if the man disappeared and which believe the law enforcement would believe he got into a vehicle so for seven days like i stated they are looking near and far for this man nothing turns up so they call off the search on the 29th of march they disband the task force pack up their shit and go home yeah buddy on april the 1st Mr. Tisdale's son, 
is out across the street from their home flying a kite with his kids. Wow. Really? Yeah. Flying a kite. Well, it's 84. I mean, there's no Xbox. I mean, that's true, but still. So Oren's son <laughs> is flying a kite across the street from his mom and dad's farmhouse where just the two days before, the largest manhunt in the area had occurred for seven straight days. And while flying this kite with his kids, he notices something floating in a cattle pond approximately 200 yards from the road and 100 yards from, or 300 yards from the house. So as he gets closer, he realizes it is a body in the pond. And so he calls the cops, and the cops come, and they go into the pond, and... Lo and behold. It is. Who is it? Mr. Dennis Ray Flowers. And you have to point out the fact, before we get started on anything, just remember the fact that this pond is three feet deep. And if you're from the south, actually it doesn't even matter if you're from the south. Hell, if you're from anywhere in the country that you know of cattle ponds, or you know someone that has cows, there's always a low area that the cows will will waller out to get into to cool off. Mm -hmm. If there is a pond on the property, they get into this pond. So just to recap, Mr. Kenneth Tisdale, and that is Oren's son, finds flowers floating in a cattle pond across the street from his parents' house, approximately 200 yards from where, supposedly, Mr. Flowers backed his car into a ditch. Since... Law enforcement looked for Mr. Flowers and based their entire investigation on the fact that he committed the murders of Lee and Karen Dixon. The case was Noel Prosequi, which is Latin for will no longer prosecute. And they stated that on July 24th, 1984. Let's get into the fact that that is the farthest thing. <laughs> from the truth, and there are strong possibilities that law enforcement picked a suspect and found their suspect floating in a pond so that he could ask no questions and tell no tales. Because a good patsy is a dead, a dead one. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. All right, so let's get into some of the what-the-fucks of the case, and this one is chocked full. So we will begin with Mr. Flower's body. So according to the police and law enforcement at the time, and we're going to bring back someone that, if you've been listening to us do some other Arkansas cases, hmm. you will... Fami, no. Fami, Fami, Fami. Yeah, you will know. Has no fucking idea how to do his job. But anyway. Well, maybe he... Maybe but he at was, one time he did. No, maybe he was doing what he was told to do. Yes, and we will touch on that as well. The podcast that we referenced earlier, Coroner Talk, had a whole episode in which he brought on a pathology expert named Mr. Sean Parcells from the National Autopsy Service. 
and he look, goes over the pathology report. Now, like Coach say, stated, let's keep in mind that Mr. Flowers was found in a three-foot-deep cattle pond. Law enforcement state that he had been in that cattle pond for 10 days. He was found on April the 1st. If that's the case, boys and girls, then helicopters, airplanes, people on horseback, and scent dogs missed this body. That is very true. And the condition the body was in does not match up to that. No. Now, for those 10 days, the average temperature of the water and the air, actually, let's not say the water, the air temperature for the last, for the 10 days that he supposedly was floating, submerged, whatever the fuck he was doing in this water, was 45 degrees. It is spring in Arkansas. It's going to be warm in the daytime and cold at night. But that does not account for the fact that the autopsy photos do not show algae on his skin or skin slippage that you would find with a body in water for 10 days. What are seen on the autopsy photos are signs of a body being waterlogged. And the difference between that is basically a waterlogged body is a body in water for 24 plus hours, but less than three days. The police are stating that his body had been in that pond for 10 days. He would have been bloated and covered in algae, and he would have had severe skin slippage. One of the photos shows a strip on Dennis's lower back. And basically, the, the best way to explain this would be it is in the area of where a woman would get a, trans, a tramp stamp. But this is a strip that is a couple of inches long and an inch wide and is stated to be algae. Now, algae needs two things, oxygen and sunlight. Absolutely. And I don't know about in Arkansas, but in <laughs> Georgia, sunlight just don't show right on the strip on your lower back if you're floating in a cattle pond. True that. And the last time I checked, algae doesn't grow in perfect rectangular shapes. I'm sure it would if you manipulated something. But they're stating that it was not manipulated. Hmm. If he had been in the pond for 10 days, you should have seen more algae. Uh, police would state that the reason you didn't see more algae is because he had his clothes on. And that's horseshit, too. And yeah, that doesn't make sense. There will be uh, algae on the clothes, and there themselves. are yeah, and there's cases of bodies floating in water like that where algae has actually started to grow under the clothes. It has mm. creeped under the clothes. God, it's Jesus. I don't. This is just <laughs> this is just step one in in the what the fuck. But yeah, I mean, this is classic Arkansas good old boyisms. 
And it's classic Fami Malik. Oh, Jesus Christ. So. Fuck that guy. <laughs> why is there only a strip of algae? That is the million dollar question up to this point. We're going to have a lot of million dollar questions. But up to this point, why is there only a little strip of algae on his lower back? Is it because his body was moved? Well, if he hasn't been in that water that long, I mean, where did that strip come from? Correct. We have no idea. I have no fucking clue. So it's not consistent with somebody that's been in the water for 10 days, yet there's no explanation. Given. I mean, not even given, there's no explanation to what caused the small strip of algae to be there in the first place. It could not, according to many me, even be algae. But, you know, Fami says it's algae, so let's go with algae. You gonna trust that motherfucker's judgment? Not really, but okay, okay. At this, it's a method. At this point, plus the autopsy photos are black and white in '84. Who the fuck takes autopsy photos? Black and white autopsy photos. I've never taken a black uh, uh, autopsy photo, but I can assure you, I would not take it. No, I won't. Color. Glossies. <laughs> All right, so the pathology report states that the body was in fair condition with no decomposition except for shallow skin slippage. What the fuck is skin slippage? I'm guessing it's slippage of the skin. Yeah. So the skin's starting to come off? The skin's starting to, basically gravity's starting to pull the skin. Oof, yeah. that's gross. Fami states that it had minimal to no decomp, shallow skin slippage, two needle marks, one in each arm, but the autopsy photos show a body that has no decomposition, hmm. especially a body that would have been in the water for 10 days. One of the first stages of decomp is marbling. And it's not what you're looking for on your steak. <laughs> Which is exactly what I was thinking. I was like, mmm, marbling. It, it's actually where the blood breaks down and causes the veins to be discolored. Ugh. Yeah. Terrible. There's no signs of this. Even in the black and white, you would have been able to see discolorations in the veins closer to the skin. And, again, you should have seen major marbling if this body was in the water for 10 days. What Fami does state, which goes against what the fuck he said earlier, and I know that's a shocker, (laughs) is that the skin is shriveled from being in the water for a few days. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh So all of this that we're seeing from the autopsy photos... And some of the shit that Fami puts on his report is consistent with a body that's been in the water for one to three days. Not a body that's been in the water for three to ten days. Or ten plus days. Now, I mean, ten plus days, we're going to see some sort of predation. Well, my thing is he's going to be bloated on our uh, Russell and that case in... Um, Shirley Derman. Yeah, the Derman case. Russell and Shirley Shirley She was bloated, and she had been weighed down. Yeah, correct. But even that, I mean, there's going to be some sort of... They're not... He's not bloated. 
He has no signs of predation. There's going to, I mean, you're underwater for 10 to 10 some odd days. There's going to be something that's going to be nibbling on you. Yeah. Something. And I'd read. Alligator snapping turtles. There's going to be fish. There's going to be crayfish. There's going to be something that's going to take a bite out of your ass. Yeah. And I had read that someone had stated that there was fish hook marks in there, so he must have been underwater. And I couldn't find that anywhere else in the pathology reports or any other articles. So I'm not sure where that comes from. Where did you see that, Reddit? No, actually, I did not get... Reddit has nothing on this case. Really? Yeah, I may start a Reddit on this case. But anyway, back to Fami. Wow. Fami does a toxicology report. In, in, the, in the immortal words of the captain, Fami, <laughs> use a piece of shit. Yes, use a big piece of shit. <laughs> For real, man. So he does a toxicology report. And in this toxicology report, it's found that Dennis has low levels of cocaine in his liver and the bile of his stomach. Which is going to be <laughs> uh, um, a direct um, contradiction to what's left undigested in his stomach. Yes. What was undigested in his stomach was 26.66 milligrams of Pharmaceutical grade cocaine. Oh, milligrams. I thought it was grams. Oh, hell no. Oh, okay. So I so this whole time I was thinking it was twenty six grams. This motherfucker swallowed pounds. Of yeah, it. we're talking. <laughs> that's a fucking, like a fucking shit ton. Shit ton. <laughs> okay, all right. So that makes a little more sense to me. That but that's still milligrams. a shit that's ton. That's still a lot. Don't get us wrong. No. But. <laughs> It's definitely not 20, 26 grams. 26 grams. Now, there was only 1.32 milligrams per liter found in his bloodstream. Hmm. It is known that anywhere from 0.1 to 5 milligrams per liter of cocaine in the bloodstream is toxic. And anything from 0.1 to 330 milligrams is lethal. Jesus. So the numbers show that he ingested the cocaine, and he did not shoot it up. Mm. Which so, contradicts the, the story of uh, the elderly couple. Correct. Now, where Fami drops the ball is he should have ordered a toxicology report that detailed the metabolites of the cocaine. And that basically will tell you how long the cocaine had been in Dennis's system. So we go back to that 1.32 milligrams in his blood. If you had done a metabolite screening on the cocaine, it would have been able, you would have been able to deduce how long from the time he took the cocaine to the time of his death based on the metabolization. So let's just get to the point that if you had 26.66 milligrams of cocaine in your stomach, your heart would have exploded. Well, he had it. True. He had it, but it was undigested. It hadn't hit the system yet. We have to keep that in mind. So, basically, he ingests 26 points, let's just round it up, let's just say 27 milligrams cocaine in his stomach and then he died shortly thereafter 
not from a heart arrhythmia, because in the autopsy report, it states that his organs were in good, healthy condition and firm, which also contradicts 10 days in the water. Absolutely. Now, if you take that much cocaine, your body is going to feel like it is on fire. I do agree with this and what Fami is going to say, what you're about to say, why he got in the water. But again, I'm going to say it's undigested and it's not in the system yet. But that being said, go ahead. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. Sorry. I put the cart before the horse. The cocaine that Coach is talking about, basically the 26, 27 grams, 26 to 27 grams, milligrams, milligrams, milligrams. had never been able to get into his bloodstream. However, if you ingest it, there are it is going to start coming into your system in other ways. Now, if you take a large amount of cocaine, let's not even talk about the 26 or 27 milligrams. Let's just say that you took 3 milligrams. Your body is going to feel like it is heating up from the inside. With that amount that he ingested, he's going to feel like his body is on fire. And so, according to Fami, Dennis ingests the cocaine and then purposely walks to a cattle pond, up a hill, over a hill, lays down in said three-foot cattle pond, and purposely breathes in the water to commit suicide by drowning. That's just fucking bullshit, man. That's so ridiculous. And he will state on the death certificate, the cause of death was drowning, the manner of death was suicide. Well, you have to point, I mean, though though we're talking about Fami Malik, and if you've listened to our show, you know that Fami Malik is just ridiculous. He was so bad at his job. This is the type of man that would just ask cops, hey, what type, what, what do you think happened? What do you want me to put? And they'd be like, oh, that was a suicide. Okay, I'm going to label it a suicide. And this doesn't happen once. It happens many times. This is the type of man we're talking about. So whatever the cops wanted him to say, he would say. And they wouldn't even have to approach him. He would just come to them. Hey, yeah, he really would. How I do mean, you want this to read? Yeah, exactly. But the definition of suicide is you are purposely taking your own life. I would dare say, and I did not research this, so don't hate on me, but people that commit suicide by drowning jump into large, deep bodies of water. I think of the Golden Gate Bridge. Well, I, though I agree with you, the Golden Gate Bridge, if you jump off the Golden Gate Bridge, you're not dying from drowning. No, you're, the impact's going to kill you. The impact will kill you. But at the same time, three feet of water. Your body's going to involuntarily react up. It should. I mean, I just can't see somebody drowning themselves in three feet of water. Well, I also don't see someone ingesting 26 milligrams of cocaine into their stomach either, but... well. I digress. It takes away from the fact that I thought it was 26 grams. No, that's like true. Somebody ingested 26 grams. <laughs> yeah, they're going to feel a little hot. <laughs> so the thing, and we need to touch on this too, the 26 milligrams is what they found in his stomach. That I guarantee you that he ingested more than 26 milligrams into his stomach. 
Yeah, some of it just got into the system. Right. And so let's chase that for a second. If you ingest it in the stomach, I could see him feeling like his body's on fire and he need he feels like he needs to cool off. And if he saw a body of water, he would try to walk into it. But you're not going to be able to fucking walk 200 yards up a hill to a body of water. The exertion of just walking up the hill with cocaine in your system would cause your heart to have an arrhythmia slash heart attack. I don't know, man. If you take cocaine... Well, it depends. Now, he's a chronic user. That's what I was about to say. That is exactly what I was about to say. But it depends on his level of tolerance he was, to that drug. He was a chronic user, but he had been clean for 33 days. But still... Well, think about Lynn Bias. Well, I, I mean, that was a... I know what you're going to say, but I'm, well, I'm just saying that... Lynn Bias... I he would, had physical he had, exertion. He had an he had a, he had a, he had a, um, undiagnosed heart problem. Guaranteed. As little as I know about Lynn Bias, he either snorted too much or he had an undiagnosed heart condition. Bottom line. But we're talking, I mean, come on. If you ingest 26 Ozzy milligrams. Ozzy Osbourne and Keith Richards are, are still, still walking this That's earth. True. Per- there's yeah. different, there's levels to this shit. There is. You're right. You're right. Same thing we talk about jujitsu. There's levels. And those motherfuckers are on a higher, higher level true. than we are. That's true. So we don't know what level this guy was on. We don't know what his habit was. We don't know how how often he was using. Maybe he had a very high tolerance. I may have. So let's just say that he was able to make the 200 yards. Okay. I, I, I would bet he would. If he was looking to get into a body of water to feel like he is cooling his body off, you're not going into that body of water trying to die. You're no. trying to go into that body of water to cool off the fire that's inside of you. Well, I would agree with that if I agreed that he was just going into that body of water to cool off. But I don't believe that. I believe this motherfucker was murdered. Well, I agree with you. But I'm just saying that if he perp- if he walked on his own into that body of water because he had ingested that much cocaine, that blows the whole thing of manner of death as suicide. It should be an accidental. Nah, well, I agree with that, but I don't think it was accidental. No, no, no. I think it's homicide as well. It was homicide. Well, why don't we let's stop pussyfooting around and let's get to why we think it's homicide. Well, first of all, let's touch on the fact that we have discussed on previous cases of murder that when a body is found, you work from homicide. I agree with that. Out. Yeah. You, All deaths you are automatically treated. automatically assume that it was murder. And you prove your way out of it. So again, I stress the fact that he is not committing suicide. At all. Yeah, he was either really killed don't. somewhere else and placed in that body of water. Or he was forced in that body of water. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that he, he committed suicide at all. Now, there are... But... It is found in the autopsy report that he had water in his lungs, but that is not indicative of drowning. You can be dead and be placed in a body of water and water come into your lungs. I agree with that, but who says that he wasn't held underwater 
until he perished. No, I agree with that too, because if you had that much fucking cocaine in your system, you're not fighting a whole lot. Well, again, the cocaine definitely was in his system. I mean, the the cocaine was definitely in his body, but it was not necessarily in his system. Well, and the other thing is, if he's going to do that, he would have purposely had to submerge himself and breathe in water, and that's fucking almost impossible in three feet of water. Agreed. So, here's the thing, though. Pharmaceutical-grade cocaine. We're not talking about street-level cocaine. We're talking about pharmaceutical-grade cocaine. It is 98% pure. Yes. That is. He would have had a fucking heart attack with just two milligrams. You think? Again, it depends on his habit, though. And the reason I say this, the reason I keep harping on this one thing... I'm I'm trying to figure out why. I know. (laughs) Is... And I'll give you the example of Whitney Houston. And, uh, That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> she OD'd on cocaine. She did, indeed. Street-level cocaine, not pharmaceutical-grade cocaine. And it was found in her blood tox screen that she had .0076 milligrams per liter. Damn. That's not, I mean, compared to this, that's not a lot. Dennis had 1.32 milligrams per liter in his system. Yeah, oof. That's a shit ton more. Yeah, exactly. She. Think about all the shit that was undigested, though. Right. He had so much more. And it's 98% pure. So much more. And on the Whitney situation, she had, there are witnesses stating that she had gone into the bathroom snorted the cocaine, immediately fell over, had a heart attack, and drowned in the bathtub within a matter of minutes. And that's where I keep saying, I don't see him walking 200 yards to a fucking cattle pond. Also, the fact that the cattle pond is less than 100 yards from the fucking command center. And I go back to the quote from Justified. Uh-oh. We're going to talk about how badass this is. <laughs> Not only did he drive around with you looking for him, he's run off with a hooker half his age. If you haven't watched Justified... You need to. You really need to. You need to ask yourself why. The thing is, if he backs his car into the ditch, fuck it, I... I've got half a pound of Colombian Bam Bam. (laughs) I'm just going to eat it. Fuck it. Oh, Jesus. And then he walks over a hill across the road from where he's just used the phone. The police bring in tracking dogs. They wouldn't have stopped at a pack of cigarettes. They would have continued to track his dumb ass to the pond. Hmm. But I digress. Well, I mean, so we're building up to the fact that this motherfucker could not have possibly committed suicide. Correct. And I just want to hound on Fami one last time. And Why are you picking on Fami? In suicide cases, I believe... Please, listeners, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe if it is a suicide case, a psychological autopsy has to be done. 
and they did not look into his psychological state or conduct any interviews along the lines of his psychological state with any family members. His kids were at his house and his new, well, not necessarily new wife, would have been a stepmom to his kids, but his wife was at the house. They never interviewed them about his psychological well-being. Well, that's, that, that should have been done. But again, we're talking about fucking Fami. Well, all these strange things keep occurring. Fucking Fami. Well, one the strangest thing that you haven't brought up is his watch. True. Talk about his watch. So, when they pull Dennis out of the water, so they inventory the body when they pull it out of the cattle pond, and it's your basic, you know, white male what he's dressed in, contents of his pocket, what he had on his person at the time. And Coach says that the watch is of great importance. And it really is. It really is. Also of great importance is the fact that he didn't have his own fucking wallet in his pants. He had... Dun, dun, dun! Lee Dixon's Lee wallet. Lee Dixon's wallet. In his pants. So, Dennis Ray Flowers who is the suicide victim, his wallet is found at Lee Dixon's home. On the kitchen counter. On the kitchen counter, and Lee Dixon's wallet is found in Dennis Ray Flowers' uh, pocket. Now, I have never set someone up, ever. But if I was going to set somebody up, I'm pretty sure this would be a tactic I would use. Yeah. I'm with you. Now, it could be coincidence. Maybe he fucked up. Maybe he was too high. I'm going to tell you another thing that I don't do. I don't put 300-something-odd dollars in my back pocket either. Not in my wallet. Mm -hmm. But let's get to the watch like you wanted to. So, when he is pulled out of the water, Deputy Sheriff Charlene Smith inventoried all of the items and noted that an Oris wristwatch was found on Mr. Flowers and the watch had March 29th as the date and 229 as the time. There's no way to determine if that's AM or PM because well, but this is one of them there windy ups. Which is true, but if you're keeping up, this is still the cops are gonna say he was in the water for what, eleven days? This is the so you're telling me the watch ran underwater for nine days? Yeah, I don't think so. Not if you have to wind it. Hmm. So that leads to some speculation about what exactly really happened. It's also noted that the local newspapers just so happened to report on March twenty eighth. That the manhunt was over. Hmm. Yeah. So we get back to the body. And we've totally shot holes in everything. Now the Tisdale state that Dennis uses the phone, calls someone named Lamar. Well, the someone named Lamar is Lamar Pettis. And he is an attorney. And Dennis worked for Mr. Pettis... Because 
Mr. Pettis had a lot of rental properties and Dennis would go around and he would collect the rent. And he states, Mr. Pettis states, that he received a phone call from Dennis around 4.15 stating that Dennis had killed the Dixons and was going to commit suicide. We touched on this earlier. What is of note is the fact that later, and I want to say 2014, Mr. Pettis is on record recounting that statement saying that he never said that he committed the murders or that he was going to commit suicide. He told Mr. Pettis, according to his 2014 statement, that not to believe what they say about him, he's being set up. Hmm. So we've touched on the watch. The funny thing is, it's noted that the watch is on Dennis when they pull him out of the water. The watch was never entered into evidence. And in Fami's report, he never states anything about the watch because all medical examiners will begin their report by stating how the body is dressed and what is on the body at the time. He even goes as far as to say that the 300 some odd dollars was found in his back pocket. Lee's wallet was found in a pocket and two spoons or a spoon was found in a pocket. Why not state that there was a watch? Well, I'll tell you why. That watch fucks up the whole timeline. Well, it's true and it, that watch there there is um photographic evidence that that watch was on him when he was pulled out of the water yet that watch has never been entered into evidence. Yes. That watch is missing and has been missing and it will continue to be missing. So let's get into some of the players on the fringes of this case. Well, the evidence would lead us to believe that he committed suicide after murdering his friends. That's what they're wanting us to see. But that's not exactly the reality of the situation. No, not one bit. So there's, there's other players in this game that we have to discuss. And we've touched on... Uh, Mr. Pettis, who was an attorney. And let's touch on the fact that... Let's go back to the investigation by the pharmacy board. So Dennis and Lee know that the walls are closing in. Mm. They know the game is over, the gig's up. And it was stated to Dennis's current wife, Linda just days before that Dennis and Lee owed someone, some heavy hitters, $40,000. But in 1984, they owed a lot of money. $40,000. It's also stated that they would not want to owe that amount of money to those individuals. Now, we talked about Mr. Pettis. We talked about him... Dennis worked for him collecting rent. So on Sunday, March 18th, Dennis and Lee concoct this story slash plan that they're going to fake a robbery at the pharmacy. 
They're going to steal the rest of the cocaine and some other drugs. They're going to traffic those drugs via Linda and this Ford Tempo <laughs> to Oklahoma City. And by selling these drugs, they can make the money pay off who they needed to pay off. So Linda is to take all of this cocaine and pills to a man named Dwayne Davidson, and he is a drug trafficker in Oklahoma City. Lee asks, and Dennis asks, Mr. Davidson to stage a break-in at the pharmacy. Well, Davidson doesn't do it himself. He sends one of his little cronies, which just happens to be a grade-A dumbass, to do this. And I say a grade-A dumbass because whoever he sends picks up a rock, throws it through a glass door, and that's it. There's just a rock thrown through a basically a window door, glass door. No one enters the pharmacy. No one stages a break-in. The hole in the door is not big enough for a person to go into. So immediately that raises red flags as to this is a big, no, this didn't happen. Hmm. These dumbasses stole their own drugs. Yeah, that would definitely, uh, if I was a police officer, I would definitely believe that. So this is on March 18th. On March 19th, Lee is supposed to report to the pharmacy board. It's on the same day, March 19th, that the sheriff's officer, the CID investigator, and that is the criminal investigation department, want to speak to Lee about the drugs that are missing and also the drugs that were supposedly taken during this robbery. March the 20th, the pharmacy, Consumer's Pharmacy, formally fires Lee. And that's what I'm saying, man. This is a very convenient murder for him. Yeah, you're talking about mere days, and he's... So, Sunday, March 18th, they stage the robbery. March 19th, he's supposed to report to the pharmacy board. Police are asking questions. March 20th, he's fired from the pharmacy, formally. March 22nd, he's found murdered along with his eight-month pregnant wife. But, I mean, if if there were questions remaining that maybe he faked his own death, it's very suspicious. Extremely. But he did not. No. He was murdered. Confirmed. 100% true. Yeah, a 44 to the head. Mm-hmm. We've touched on the days leading up to the murder. We need to now touch on the fact that a man named Harold Jones comes into play. And he is a U.S. Vietnam Air Force veteran, heavily connected to organized crime in the area. He also owns a limousine business. He just so happens to rub elbows with the upper class of Fayetteville and it is very well known that if you wanted something Harold Jones was a man to get it he can or could at the time procure anything from drugs women money whatever the fuck you wanted hmm. Dennis is tied to Harold in the sta- in the sense 
that he worked security for Harold. Harold is basically untouchable in Fayetteville. In an interview in 2016, a police officer who is retired at the time stated that when he was a rookie, he was told, anything dealing with Harold Jones, you need to turn a blind eye to. And he was also told that if you do not comply by turning a blind eye, your career in law enforcement is over. That's, uh, as we've uncovered on uh, a few cases, Arkansas is very much known for their good old, good old voices. And this may be a prime example of it. Yes. Now, it is rumored that this is who Lee was sending the drugs from the pharmacy to. This is also the man that states in front of Dennis's wife, Linda, that Dennis and Lee owed 40000 And he stated, stated this to Linda on March the 15th. Now, we get into a man named Gary Lunsford. Gary Lunsford is a well-known drug dealer in Fayetteville. He is the man to move cocaine in the area. How do you even get to be that status? How do you get to be the well-known drug dealer without getting busted? That's a million-dollar question, (laughs) bud. Unless there is hella corruption, which we know Arkansas might be known for that. Maybe that will come into play later. Who knows? It is Mr. Gary Lunsford who tells police that around 3.30 a.m. on March 22nd, that Dennis showed up banging on his door asking for money and a gun. And this is 30 minutes before he is at the Tisdale's home. So please keep in mind, we're talking about 30 minutes before he breaks into the Tisdale's home to get a glass of water and use the phone. He gives Dennis a 22 revolver, and $1,400 cash and some drugs. Hmm. He also states, and here's the kicker, Dennis was covered in blood. So 30 minutes before he breaks into the Tisdale's home, he is at a well-known drug dealer's house, banging on the door at 3.30 in the morning, asking for a gun, money, and drugs. And this drug dealer is just going to hand over $1,400 in cash. $1,400 in cash for no possible reason. To a man covered in blood. Just because he asked for it. And according to the police's theory, this is the same man that had just committed a double murder using a forty-four revolver. Mm-hmm. Why would you need another weapon? Well, when he... 30 minutes later, broke into the Tisdale's house, they're going to report that he did have a 44 mag. Yes. It was a large barreled revolver. But as we pointed out earlier, to remember, they did not report that he was covered in blood. No, the only thing they reported was he had a needle sticking out of his arm and he had a big ass gun in his hand. Now, here's the other kicker. Gary does not immediately call the police. 
he waits until 11 a.m. Six and a half hours later, and he goes to Harold Jones's home. And at Harold Jones's home, there just so happens to be a retired Arkansas State police officer named Kenneth McKee. Just hanging out. No biggie. Who is also a circuit court investigator. And he makes his statement to Mr. McKee about what Dennis had said and how he was covered in blood. Hmm. So the question is, why did he wait six and a half hours? Why did he not immediately call police? Which I could answer that one. Hell, he's a fucking drug dealer in the area. That's why he didn't call police. (laughs) But why give your statement to an investigator who is just so happens to be hanging out at a organized crime members slash limousine business owner's house. What the fuck? So let's go back to the scene of the crime. We had stated the only thing that tied Dennis to the Dixon's house was his wallet and the pristine thumbprint on a 7-Up can. In the Ford Tempo that he supposedly backed into a ditch, well, not supposed, someone backed into a ditch at the Tisdale's home, they go through the car. The car does not have a single fingerprint from Dennis anywhere in the car is also the 44 Ruger handgun. Is Dennis's fingerprints on that? No. They find a syringe. Is Dennis's fingerprints on that? No. There's not any fingerprints on the gun. There's not any fingerprints on the syringe. They pop the trunk, and there is a plethora of drugs in the trunk. But what is missing from the drugs in the trunk is pharmaceutical-grade cocaine and the three vials of morphine. Not to mention that his fingerprints were not found anywhere in the Dixon's home. So you're telling me a man commits a double homicide with a 44 Magnum Ruger handgun. He shoots up with some kind of substance. We can assume it's cocaine because it was found in his system with the toxicology report. Backs the car into a ditch. Somehow removes a 22 pistol that he got from Lunsford. $1,400 worth of cash. Pharmaceutical grade cocaine. <laughs> three vials of morphine. Walks down the road, drops a pack of cigarettes, and fucking disappears. Well, yeah, the, the, the cash, the, the gun, and the morphine are not found. The cocaine is found. Yeah, in his stomach. In his stomach. But none of the other things are found. And I go back to the fact of why are you asking for a gun if you already have a forty-four? That's a great question. And why are there the discrepancies between the fact that he was clean, according to the Tisdales, and according to the drug-dealing piece of shit, he was covered in blood? Yes. Now let's get into a little bit of a backstory on Dennis. Dennis was not a person that would be considered a fine, upstanding citizen of the community. Not at all. That'd be an understatement. He is known to work 
for a known organized crime member. He is supposedly at this man's house, covered in blood, asking for a revolver, or asking for a gun and money and drugs. After supposedly stealing all of these drugs from a pharmacy. So, Dennis has his brother, who just so happens to be a doctor, put him in the hospital under the guise of having back pain. And he's put in the hospital around February the 10th or 11th. Well, on February the 12th, while he is in the hospital, two men visit him. And these two men are Ronnie Teague and Alex Montez. And keep Alex Montez's name in the back of your mind for just a second. I got it. It's in there. Thank you. (laughs) Once they leave his hospital room, Dennis contacts Lee and asks him to bring him some drugs and a pistol to the hospital. Lee obliges, brings Dennis some pills, and Dennis ODs on drugs at the hospital, revived by the hospital staff, and is immediately sent to a treatment facility for drugs for 32 days. And guess when he leaves the treatment facility? March 14th. O-M-G. Seven days before the murder. Uh-oh. He becomes completely clean while he's at this treatment facility. Well, of course he does. His kids, who he was estranged from at the time, come, do family therapy, express to Dennis how much they miss him, how much they want him in their lives. And from all accounts, Dennis completes the treatment. He's clean, and he's getting out. And so... He is supposed to pick up his kids. They're about to go on spring break. He's going to pick them up Friday after they get out of school from his ex-wife. And Lee calls him in a panic because the pharmacy board has just investigated him. So he has to call his kids and cancel picking them up on Friday, but tells them that he will pick them up on Sunday, two days later. Which he does. And his daughter, who is 14 at the time, states that they go back to Dennis's house and they're, he's in good spirits and they actually are picked up from Dennis's parents' house where his parents are celebrating him getting out of the treatment facility by having a cookout. And his daughter even remembers that he did not touch a single drop of alcohol at this party, and they were so proud of him. It's also on record that Dennis, in his heyday, was drinking a pot of whiskey a day on top of his drug habit. So for him not to drink a drop afterwards means that he had really, truly gotten his shit together. No doubt. Now, his daughter Dana states on the Corner Talk podcast, and this is the episode one of this case that they cover, that they go on March 21st 
to see the movie Footloose. Which I love. Kevin Bacon. If, you, if you're going to cut loose... You need to cut loose. you got to cut foot loose. That's true. <laughs> now, they go to the movies. They come back. They're at Dennis's house. Lee shows up. Both of them are there. She states that Lee and Dennis both are sober. They're in good spirits. They're laughing. They're cutting up. Dennis actually goes in, tucks her into bed because she was laying in bed reading. And at midnight, he kisses her goodnight. Him and Lee leave. Well, the theory that police put forward is around 12.30 or between 12 and 12.30, Lee and Karen are killed by Dennis. So the one of the other theories is that someone goes to Lee and Karen's home to confront Lee about the 40000 that he owes. Mm-hmm. Lee's not there. Karen is. So they tie Karen up and either try to extract information from her because supposedly in her autopsy it is known that she was shot twice, once in the stomach, which is even worse because she was eight months pregnant. Oof. The second shot almost severed one of her fingers. Yeah, and she was, I mean, and she was tied up. The fact that she was tied up leads credence to the fact that she's going to be, she's being interrogated. Right. You don't just tie someone up for the hell of it. And the theory is that they came to confront Lee. Lee was not there. They tie her up, try to extract the information, don't get anywhere. They threaten to take her son because she is found clutching a jet, his the, the boy's jacket, mm-hmm. and they lay in wait for Lee to get home. Well, when Lee gets home, he's with Dennis. Whoever has tied up Karen shoots Lee and basically tells Dennis, here's how it's going to go down. Take your wallet out, and that's how his fingerprints and his wallet are left at the crime scene. You think? And then they just let him go? Or do you think they they they're gonna they're gonna hold him captive? I think he tells. A, a certain this is not just my this is not my theory, but this is someone else's theory. This is what I read. They state that their theory is that Dennis was told that he still he's now on the hook for the forty thousand by himself. He says that he's trying to get his life together, and he's gonna get him the money and he'll pay it with interest, but it's gonna take him a little bit. And they're like, hell no, we know you. Just, stage this robbery of the pharmacy and you have all these drugs and so then he confesses I'm going to have them, my wife's going to take them to Oklahoma City, we're going to mm-hmm. sell them we'll mm-hmm. get the money for mm-hmm. them and so they buy into that well, it's at that point he's like, fuck that shit, I'm out I'm getting the fuck out of here I don't know, man and the theory that I read states that he does contact Pettis his the attorney Mm-hmm. They state that Pettis hides him out at his cabin for six or seven days while the police are looking for him and whoever killed Lee and Karen. And then either by means of threat to bodily harm to Pettis, Pettis gives him up. They find him at Pettis' cabin. Well, if he didn't do that, then who broke into the um, elderly couple's home... 
and who called who made the phone call said he killed two people I mean that's that's the question it's all these things line up to the fact that Flowers is innocent but we still have that incident we do still have that incident and the thing is Pettis is on record stating that the only reason law enforcement target Dennis is because he contacted the district attorney at the time told them that he had received a phone call from Dennis. And this is all from a statement, top statement, that is not signed by Pettis. And some of you are probably thinking, what's the big deal with him not signing this statement? The big deal is anybody can type up a narrative and Pettis could have been threatened you either go along with this or you'll wind up like the Dixons and Dennis. Absolutely. And we know that Pettis recants those statements at a later date. Much, much later date. 30 years later date. So Pettis is also on record stating that when he receives a phone call from Dennis from the Tisdale's home that he hangs up and he goes back to bed. I have a problem with this because I don't give a shit about attorney-client privilege. At that point, you are a attorney. If you know that your client is in the process of committing a crime or have committed a crime, you are co- to contact law enforcement. For you to go to bed is fucked up. He does state that he couldn't sleep, so he got up and researched whether or not he should contact law enforcement <laughs> to violate client attorney, attorney privilege. Client privilege. Yeah. yeah. That screams cover-up. For real. Now, we mentioned about Alex Montez, and the reason we mentioned that is because of a Facebook post, and this is by a woman named Sharon Tamre. Davison, and she says, I quote, I only saw a few minutes of the murder mystery of Dennis Flowers and the man and woman over cocaine in 1984. I'm surprised Fayetteville Police Chief Tabor doesn't remember some of the rumors back then. Several key players who knew exactly who the trigger men were that night have since died. Dennis was supposedly scared because he knew who the murderers were and that he was going to take more than the fall. They weren't taking any chances. He would name names. The pond where his body was found, just outside of West Fork, was a setup. I was told, and opinions varied, about how long Dennis had been in the water because of how many fish hooks marks were present. It was too deep into the biggest cocaine connection in Fayetteville at the time. Can anyone say Casa Montes? Things really are scarier than many think and you don't even need a touch of paranoia to never quite get some knowledge like that out of your mind. So we don't have time in this episode, but if you are interested, research Casa Montez and Alex Montez and not the fact that he owned a Mexican restaurant in Arkansas. Hmm. There's so many questions on this and, and the reason that we are covering this case is that the gentleman that contacted us along with Dennis's daughter Dana 
and Karen's brother are trying to petition the state of Arkansas to change the manner of death. Yeah, they don't, no one believes other than quote unquote law enforcement that Dennis Flowers committed this murder. The brother of the victim doesn't believe this. The, the, the relatives of Dennis don't believe this happened. Nobody believes this happened except for the state of Arkansas. Yeah, with the state of Arkansas, with their track record that we have covered, Jamie Ward, Billie Jean Phillips, it's not very good. Helen Gone covered another case with, in uh, season one with, that was shitty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. The private investigator that contacted us stated to me today in a phone call that he's has three cases he's currently working that are more fucked up than this and i was like how yeah how is it more fucked up than this we also have to remember that the 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 cases that we haven't covered that are world famous the boys on the tracks and most importantly the west memphis three which those are all arkansas cases arkansas is a fucked up place man at the end of this month the oxygen network is doing the new series on the wet memphis West Memphis Three. The wet, the wet Memphis. Wet Memphis. Wet Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> so if you do get the Oxygen Channel, tune into that. Let's get into our theories. I know this is a long case. This is probably uh, man. This shit is so fucked up. There's not even really. Only thing I'm gonna say is, I don't think the man committed suicide. I hundred ten percent. If, agree with you. I don't know exactly what who set him up or who committed the homis, the quote unquote homicide, but I'm just gonna say this man did not commit suicide. No. There's so many other ways to do it more efficiently uh, than three feet of water. Yeah. You're just not gonna convince me that this man committed suicide in three feet of water. I'm sorry, it's just not gonna happen. So my theory is. It kind of piggybacks off the theory that I stated earlier. You know, Lee and Dennis had this plan. They were going to take all of these drugs that they faked a robbery at the pharmacy. They were going to traffic them to Oklahoma City, have Dennis's wife sell them, bring the money back, pay off their debts, and basically Lee was okay with losing his pharmacy license. I mean, that's crazy. It is crazy. You're just going to be okay with that. But the alternative is you're dead. Well, true. I mean, I think they crossed the wrong people, man. I agree with you. I mean, they 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 were way above their pay grade. Oh as yeah. the saying goes. Yes. Now the other thing, in my theory, is I believe that so Lee and Dennis come into the house. They either see the men. Or a man holding his son. They see Karen tied to a chair. And it's noted that she had her eyes taped. so she, Which would ratchet up her fear. Not knowing what's going on. She is probably distraught. Lee is probably promising anything in the world. Once it is known that they don't have the money. They kill Karen. They turn around and kill Lee. Dennis is then told that he needs to get the fucking money. He tells them, sorry, man, I don't have it, but I can get it. And basically they frame him 
on the premise of him not getting the money. Those seven or eight days that he's missing, the people involved in this probably think that he's trying to sell these drugs. And unfortunately, time runs out for them. I don't know why they would go to that length to give him extra time, but it just doesn't it doesn't make sense. There's so many fucking questions. There's so many unanswered questions, I guess I should say. It's not so much that there's so many questions. It's just unanswered questions that could easily be answered if they had conducted the investigation as a fucking homicide. Absolutely. But, you know, we're just two dumbasses in a basement, so. <laughs> what that's do we know? That's for sure. <laughs> All right, let's hedge on your theory there, Coach Awoach. I think that these these people got way, way over their heads, and they were set up. Oh, yeah. I don't think that Dennis Flowers committed this murder and then went and committed suicide. Not in that manner. No, I think that they were set up. I think that the 40000 that they owed, whomever they owed it to, was enough to cause that person to act upon it and execute um, Lee and Karen Dixon and then try to make it look as if Dennis Ray Flowers committed the murder. That's my opinion. Like we stated, this is a very, very long case. (laughs) (laughs) Chair just broke. But we will be hopefully conducting a phone interview with the investigator that Reference this case. So he may remain nameless. Yes, and we may have to try and do our best to um, come up with a moniker. <laughs> um, one last thing, not dealing with the case, but uh, dealing with our Instagram page. Uh-oh. A... Lady reached out to us on Instagram under the moniker of Selena Boucher. <laughs> Hope I'm saying that right, Miss Selena. And she said, Can you guys post a pic of yourselves so we have faces to go with your voices? Thanks. That's a hard no. Yeah. <laughs> and I responded with, I'll have to talk it over with Coach. And under uh, <laughs> further review, before I even mentioned it to Coach, there's no way in hell the people that I work for would continue to employ me if I released my face. I agree. I don't want to chance it. No. We are, truthfully, 100%, we are educators. We work very hard in our jobs. We love our jobs. And we just don't want to cause any, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Financial conflict. Well, I'm saying conflict. With our current jobs and what we do is for fun. And we may give you the old uh Tool Time Tim's neighbor from the eyes <laughs> up. How do you headset? Yeah. Wilson. How do you hold their neighbor? We can give you a Wilson photo. But I mean Yeah, it's educa- the the education profession is a very fickle. They love you one day, they hate you one day. There's there's no telling what will cause 
If it came out that we talk the way we talk, yeah, we and cuss. drink the way we drink, yeah, we cuss too much. It's just too much. I do appreciate uh, Miss Selena reaching out to us, uh, and she reached out concerning our. Um, but that's a hard no from me, Honey Island Swamp. Monster. I'm sorry. I I mean I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you being a fan, but no, that's a hard no. We can give you. <laughs> We can give you neck down photos. <laughs> but I will say this. Once we get some swag, uh, Miss Selena, we will send you some swag. And we're, we're going to work on that. We're going to work on some, some, some shirts and some, some more stuff. Because I personally just want a shirt. I don't care about you or <laughs> any of the listeners that want a shirt. I want a shirt. So we're going to do it. But if, if the listeners, in fact, decide to get shirts, that's going to be fucking awesome awesome yes it is so in closing with the dennis flowers lee and karen dixon case hopefully you'll tune God, so messed up man and we like we scratched the surface yeah that's what i was about to say we did like what almost two hours and we're not even we're not doing this case justice no at not all. at all we this is this is sincerely We've we've said it before on here, but this is sincerely the case that you need to look into yourself, because we just don't have the time. No, and, you and need we're to, not gonna we're not gonna force people to listen to us for that long. You need to you need to do your own research, and hopefully, you know, through the phone interview, we can pique your interest. And if you research the Dixie Mafia, it doesn't reach that far north, Mm-mm. but. There's some organized crime in Fayetteville during the 80s and stuff. There's, like Coach stated, the boys on the track is tied to some drug trafficking and some some corruption in that town. So And also fucking FAMI. Jesus Christ. But, the, you know, hopefully... The, the bane of our existence. Yeah. Hopefully uh, you enjoy this. I hope that it has... Um, done the case justice we truly truly do like it when we get these types of cases from our listeners and this is a doozy and i'm sure this is not the last one that we will get i'm from so this glad man. i'm so glad that gentleman pushed us he did push us he and, did know, he he like he said hey y'all still interested he's like he, yeah he, he emailed us i mean he sent us a facebook message and we didn't for whatever reason we didn't respond we just missed it or whatever and he just like messaged us back he's like hey Hey, fuckers. Yeah. Are you interested in this shit or not? Well, also, and I posted to our social me- social media pages, please tell your friends, tell your relatives, your coworkers, you know, help pass the time during this quarantine bullshit. You know, we've got 33, 34, 35 episodes, depending well, on time, when this releases. By the time this comes out, the quarantine's probably going to be over. I hope so. Fuck, I hope so. God. But if it is, still tell people, man. Yeah. That'd be awesome. If you enjoy our podcast and you feel it in your heart to help us out, you know, visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash mysterious brews. We got four whole Patreons. We had somebody on Twitter reach out. Russ reached out and said, Hey man, what's your what's your Patreon? I gave it to him. He didn't respond. Crickets. He didn't give us to us. Come on, Russ. We're waiting on you. <laughs> <laughs> but also just, you know, we would appreciate, especially with this case, share this case far and wide let's help this investigator let's help dennis's daughter karen's brother push the state of arkansas and get this manner of death changed yeah it's pretty crazy that 
to to think that we're we're talking about an active case. This case is open. It's unsolved. Well, it's open for the private investigator. According to the state of Arkansas, it's closed. Yeah, they closed it July twenty fourth. But we don't. We no. don't. We don't accept that. And we, we hope you don't either. And we hope that you do your own research. I think that's the biggest thing that we want to get to our listeners. We do these episodes, and we hope we leave you with questions that make you want to go look well, further. Well, like we said in our first couple episodes, we don't answer questions. No, we just ask a shitload of them. We just leave you with more. That's we don't right. answer them. We just ask them. Well, from the quarantine basement, I guess the only <laughs> thing left is deuces. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha